The scripture we're reflecting on this morning comes from John 1, starting in verse 14 and going through verse 17. John 1, 14 through 17. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The calendar doesn't lie. And 10 days ago, my calendar told me that it was my birthday. And this wasn't just any birthday, this was an important birthday. Can you guess which birthday it was? If you're thinking 40, then you're one of my favorite people in this church. (laughs) If you're thinking 30, then you are my favorite person in this church. And you probably need some professional help. That's right, 10 days ago, I turned 50 years old. Hard to believe. And while we were celebrating my birthday, you were off somewhere stuffing your face with turkey and pecan pie. You see, our nation declared a national holiday for my birthday. (laughs) Well, there was a national holiday on my birthday, but details, details, right? Five decades over 18,250 days on this earth. That's a long time. And I gotta be honest, except for my knees and occasionally my back, I really don't feel 50. I really don't. I remember when I was a child, when I thought about the age 50, I thought, man, that is ancient. That is old. That's for people who are in the nursing home. People who like egg salad sandwiches and play bingo in the afternoon. That's old. And now that I kind of think about it, that doesn't sound so bad. (laughs) You know, age is one of those things that that people claim is is relative, right? You're only as old as you feel. Age is a state of mind, people contend. And yet, I look at my birth certificate, I look at my driver's license, I look at the calendar, And it tells me a very undeniable, objective truth that I cannot deny. I am 50 years old. And so when I'm filling out a form and it asks for my birth date, I don't put down a date that that feels good to me. I don't make up a date that just sounds better or makes me much younger. I put down a very concrete, specific date. And as much as I might want to be 40 or 30, that's not the truth. The truth is I'm 50. It is undeniable, indisputable. And you see, that's the nature of truth. It doesn't budge. It doesn't waver with my feelings. It is fixed. It is steadfast. It is timeless. But according to many social and political pundits, we are witnessing the death of truth. Truth is dying. And as we witness the death of truth, we are both observers and contributors to its demise. And for some people in our world, our predisposed world, they mourn this apparent death of truth. But for others, 
They celebrate it. They're happy that there is no so-called objective truth. In 2016, the year of our presidential election, Webster's Dictionary decided that post-truth would be the word of the year. I'm not exactly sure how they decide that or even what that means, but obviously it has some significance in our culture. Post-truth, they said, would be the word of the year. What does that mean? Well, post-truth refers to any time or place when objective reasoning is put aside for more emotional appeals, appeals to what you feel and believe. And of course, now we hear so much about fake news and alternative facts, which in many ways are just the grim reapers of truth, right? And in April of last year, Time magazine emblazoned on its cover that question, is truth dead? And then earlier this year, the former mayor of our largest city in the nation was quoted on national television saying, truth isn't truth. For ages, truth has been debated, defended, attacked, and questioned. Why? Because truth is so central to who we are. The existence of truth or the absence of truth shapes everything about what we believe and how we live. With truth, we have an anchor, a foundation, something reliable, something defendable, something permanent. Without truth, we have chaos. Just imagine for a moment if you could just decide how old you want to be. I mean, think about that. In fact, let's do this. I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, I want you to say out loud your preferred age. If you could choose any age that you could be right now, what would you choose? All right? You think, okay, I'll give you a minute to think about that. You're like, well, as a child, that's not bad, you know, no taxes, no responsibilities. Maybe middle school, no, no one wants to go back to middle school, sorry. What age would I be? And so I don't need you to holler or scream it out, but I do want you to say it out loud, okay? On three, your preferred age, what, what age you would choose to be. You ready? One, two, three, say it. I don't think I heard anyone say 50. Maybe we should try that again. That's crazy, isn't it? It doesn't work that way. You can't just choose an age. There's actually a case in the courts right now of a Dutch man who is trying to legally change the date on his birth certificate. He is 69 years old. He wants to be 49 years old. You know why? This is the truth. He wants to be 49 years old because that will give him a better chance on the online dating websites. Oh, that's the world we live in. You say, that's crazy. You can't just decide your age, right? That's right. You see, claiming to be 20 doesn't make me 20. The insurance company isn't going to say to me, oh, you want to be 20? Then you can actually be covered on your parents' insurance. The doctor's not going to come in and say to me, oh, you're 20? Well, guess what? You can wait 30 years for a colonoscopy. (laughs) which is evidently what people 50 have to have, I'm learning. 
It doesn't work that way, right? You can't choose your age. It would mean that we are living in a false reality. We're trying to create our own truth. So that begs the question, if truth isn't dead, if there is some level of truth, then what is it? Well, someone asked that same question 2,000 years ago, face-to-face with Jesus. Jesus was arrested by his own people who were threatened by his countercultural teachings. They were threatened by his growing appeal among the people, but they really had not much power to do anything about it. And so they turned him over to the people who did have power, the Roman government, specifically Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate receives Jesus and he thinks, this isn't my problem. Jesus is a Jew. This is a Jewish problem. But Pilate also knows that if the Jews get rowdy, if they get disruptive, then he will have to answer to the emperor. And so he wants to get to the bottom of this. What is this whole issue with Jesus? And so he asks Jesus a few questions. We're going to be in John chapter 18, verse 33. I want you to notice this conversation between this this ruler, this Roman governor, Pilate, and Jesus. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. He goes on. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. If you don't hang on to anything else that is said this morning, don't miss Jesus' words right there. Jesus says, anyone and everyone on the side of truth, anyone and everyone looking for something reliable, something they can put their faith in, something that they know will be constant and timeless, they listen to me. Not to the world, not to the media, not to those feelings inside. They listen to me, Jesus says. And Pilate is intrigued. And he says, truth, what is truth? What is truth? That is the question that has both blessed and cursed humankind for ages. We want to know We want to know, is there anything that we can trust? Is there anything that is constant? Is there anything that we can believe in? Maybe you've been asking that same question. And probably you don't use those words. You don't express it that way necessarily. But there's something inside of you looking for something to anchor your life into, some kind of foundation, something you know you can count on. And maybe you have been deceived time and time again. Maybe deceived by the evil one. Maybe deceived by people you trusted. Maybe deceived by the world. Maybe even deceived by well-meaning people who claim to be Christians. 
Next Sunday, we're going to talk about overcoming some of the lies that we always hear and finding freedom in truth. But before you can untangle the many lies, you have to answer that same question that Pilate asks. What is truth? You see, the world used to have an answer for this question. It wasn't long ago that the world would say, well, we know what truth is. Truth is anything that you can observe through empirical evidence. Anything that you can predict. Anything that you can experience through your senses. Maybe in the laboratory, maybe in the real world, that's objective truth. But now, now the world has expanded its view. The world would say it is more enlightened now. That there is not objective truth. That instead truth with a small t, if it exists at all, is more subjective, more individualistic, more personal. You see, the world says that truth is relative. It's a moving target. You create or discover your own truth, and I will create and discover my own truth. And you don't tell me what is true, and I won't tell you what is true. Which means everything is up for grabs. Which leads to what we often see these days, hostile debates in all public forums. Because everyone is defending their version of the truth. The Bible offers a different take on truth. Which, to be fair, I should acknowledge that we're making an initial assumption, right, about the Bible. That the Bible is true. Which is not necessarily a given in our world today. We don't have time in this message to go into it, but there is considerable external evidence and internal validation for the reliability of scriptures, that they are, in fact, true. And so if that is the case, then the scriptures should form or inform my perspective on truth, on what is true, on what else is true, right? And so we open up John's gospel. In the very first chapter of John, we have this beautiful passage. Will read part of it just a few moments ago, a passage that many people read this time of year. John 1:14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then a few verses later in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, as he put on flesh and dwelt among us, as he lived a life in human form, he was the embodiment of grace and truth. Where grace and truth converged was the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. His teachings, his mission, his purpose, his values, All of those things bear witness to grace and truth. Think about it. Truth without grace comes across as legalistic and overbearing. Grace without truth comes across as spineless and erratic. Jesus is the embodiment of both grace and 
truth. And so later, Jesus would make that arresting claim to his disciples before he is arrested. John 14, verse 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But what does it mean that Jesus is truth? What does that really mean? It means that he is the absolute and supreme standard for my life, for my thoughts, my behaviors, my beliefs, my actions. That everything about Jesus, his life, his teachings, his interactions with others, the way he treated others, his lordship, his death, his resurrection, everything about Jesus is the constant and timeless standard for all things. He is true north, if you will. In 1914, not long after the sinking of the Titanic, there was another tragedy at sea. And in January of that year, the thick fog off the Virginia coast obstructed vision and led to tragedy. The steamship SS Monroe was rammed by the merchant ship Nantucket. And the Monroe eventually sank. Forty-one people lost their lives in the frigid waters of the Atlantic. And while it was the captain of the Nantucket that was charged, during the trial, the other captain, the captain of the ship that sank, the Monroe, had to answer some very difficult questions. And for over five hours, he was cross-examined. And in that cross-examination, something came out. What came out was he admitted that his compass, the steering compass that he had used on that ship, was two degrees off. Two degrees different from a standard magnetic compass. But when asked about it, here's what he said. He said, no, that compass is sufficiently true sufficiently true. What does that mean? Something is either true or it's not. It can't be sufficiently true. And unfortunately, that tragedy proved otherwise, that it wasn't true. You see, if we are left on our own to determine truth, We will orient our lives. We will arrange our lives around beliefs that will get us off course and ultimately lead to destruction. We will be trying to live in a false reality. You see, me thinking that that direction is north doesn't make it north. Me wanting to be 20 doesn't make me 20. Me thinking that fame or fortune or money or status is the way to fulfillment in life doesn't make it so. And me thinking that I can live as though there is no God does not make God disappear. You see, the result is a costly collision with reality. Jesus. Jesus' way of life, what he taught, 
his values, his lordship, every aspect of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. These things are constant and non-negotiable, and they shape who we are and how we live. You see, you can't change truth. You can't change truth, but let me tell you this, truth can change you. When I accept Jesus as the truth, when I claim him as my true compass point, when I submit to him, then everything else in my life is influenced by and shaped by that truth. Now, what I pursue in life is about what Jesus pursued in life. How I speak reflects the speech of Jesus. What I value reflects kingdom values, the values of Jesus. How I treat other people, my relationships, what I do with my time, my money, what I'm looking for in life, where I find purpose and meaning in life and fulfillment, what brings me happiness and joy, all of that and so much more begins to be transformed by and shaped by the unchangeable truth of Jesus. We don't change the truth around us. The truth changes us. That's why Paul would say, for me to live is Christ. That's how you sum it up. For me to live is Christ. I mean, think about it. We all arrange our lives around something we assume to be true, right? Some value system, something that we say, this is worthwhile, this is the way it is. I mean, think about the different aspects of your life, and there's, there's things that you believe to be true. And so, because they are true, you live a certain way, you act a certain way, you behave a certain way. But unless I am abiding in the unchanging truth of Jesus, our truth will fluctuate. It's like a huge spectrum. And there's an indicator somewhere on the spectrum. And every day I just, I just slide that indicator somewhere along the spectrum. It's like when I get up and I decide what to wear that day. That's not truth. I don't decide what is true every day. You can't change the truth. Truth is stable, unmovable, and timeless. But the truth of Jesus, it changes us. And it should change us. We begin to see and interpret life differently. We begin to see everything through the lens of Jesus. And as someone said, it's not that we see a list, we see a life. The life of Jesus. And so Pilate ask that famous question, what is truth? And little did Pilate know that truth was looking straight at him, looking in his very eyes. The answer to his question was right in front of him. Maybe Pilate never heard Jesus say, I am the way and the truth and the life. Maybe Pilate never saw the words of John chapter 1, that Jesus came and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Pilate said, what is truth? And truth in its embodiment. And Jesus was right in front of him. 
Maybe you have spent much of your life asking that type of question. What is true? What can I count on? What can I put my life into that matters? What, what is it that is stable and constant and timeless and steadfast? And maybe you have been looking into the eyes of Jesus for weeks or months or even years. Open your eyes. You're wondering what is true? You want to know what truth is? It's right in front of you. And so as we conclude, the question I want to ask you is how does that make a difference in your life? How are you arranging or orienting your life around the truth of Jesus Christ? What does that look like in your life? Does it impact your speech? Does it impact your thoughts? Does it impact your relationships? What about your desires and dreams and goals and ambitions in life? Or do you have sort of your Jesus part of your life and then you have your other parts of your life? If Jesus is the embodiment of truth, then all aspects of my life should be governed by that truth. So what does that look like for you? Maybe it means you need to make some changes. Maybe it means you need to change some relationships or change your attitude or change your approach to your job or to your future or to your studies or to your friendships. Maybe it means ending some relationships. Maybe it means offering forgiveness. To forgive as Jesus forgave. To forgive as Jesus taught to forgive. Maybe it means asking for forgiveness. What does it mean? Wrestle with that. Wrestle with that question. If Jesus is truth and my life is shaped by and my future is informed by and my decisions are influenced by truth that is unchanging, what does that mean? Maybe for you it means you're ready to give your life to Christ. You're ready to anchor your life into the unchanging truth of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We'd be happy to celebrate that decision with you today. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ, to be clothed with Christ, we would love to help you with that. Or maybe you need help on the journey. You need encouragement or support. We'd be happy to encourage you, to pray for you, to lift you up. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. We're going to have a couple of shepherds and their wives in the parlor, a room right behind me. They would be happy to receive you, to pray for you. You can leave out any of these doors and just make your way there. Or you can come to the front, and we as a church family will lift you up in prayer. Maybe you are ready today to give your life to Christ in baptism. If there's something we can do for you today to, sing, to encourage you, to support you, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.